everybody. Welcome to episode 38 of Outspoken. I'm your host, Justin White. It sounded like I said Chustin. Chuster. Chuster. Chester White. That's my new name. Um, my guest today is my friend Daniel Davidson, and he is uh, a friend of my brother's that I've known for a while, but we never get to see each other. I only see him when I go to New York. And that's only happened a few times in the last decade. So I feel like we would be really close friends if we got to spend more time together. And so talking to him like this uh, was awesome. It was like uh, it was like we were getting to know each other kind of for the first time. But um, I really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, you might be able to tell at the end. I don't think either one of us wanted to end it. And, um, yeah, so I'll tell you all about his, uh, how to find his artwork. It's unbelievable. Um, it's, there's nothing like it. So I won't try to describe it. I will just give you a link at the end to go look at it. Um, incidentally, uh, Daniel D is the husband of Trisha K episode 34. So if you haven't heard her conversation with me, you should check it out. And lastly, uh, this is a phone conversation because um, unfortunately I didn't get to record with Daniel when I was there recently in New York. So the audio is a little bit off. I was talking into a mic at home and he was talking into his computer mic, which is, uh, you know, maybe a little echoey. I think I'll get used to it. It's not too bad. Um, my kitties have something to say and then uh, we'll talk to Daniel. your childhood a lot of the same stuff you know i grew up in the 70s and right and where'd you grow up you grew up out here in uh, in san jose i was born in san francisco okay but uh i grew up in san you know since when i was about two and a half or three we moved to san jose okay which i know you're familiar with as the armpit of the bay area (laughs) the cultural armpit of the bay area Uh, i i didn't want to say it but um I, I think it's I, come a long way, actually. I think it's. I wanted to say that. <laughs> you did. You were late. I was gonna guess that you were gonna say armpit, but I guess yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't that far of a reach. Um, so yeah, I grew up there, and uh, my family. Little background: my family, actually, Trish and I, we've been doing, uh, like ancestry.com and twenty three oh, cool. and all that stuff. So we did that, and we. Uh, and my family goes back in San Francisco to the eighteen seventies. Holy shit. That's so amazing. I'm a, I'm a fourth generation San Franciscan. That's crazy. And I was born in the same hospital, St. Mary's Hospital. You know where that is? I do, yeah. My, my mom was born there, and uh, my grandparents were born there. Whoa. And both of my parents lived in, you know, they lived in San Francisco, and they both grew up there. My dad was born in Chicago. Okay. But they moved to San Francisco when he was about seven, and then my parents met when they were working for Crocker Bank, okay, which is now, now owned by um, Wells Fargo. But so they were working in Crocker Bank, and um, that's where they met. But my mom grew up in the Sunset on 30th Avenue. Wow. And my grandparents um, lived there since 1939. <laughs> that's so cool. So, and, and then before that, my grandmother grew up in uh, South of Market. 
It must have been so amazing at that time, like wagon, wagon, like horse-drawn carriages and stuff. Well, it's funny you say that because they owned uh, a drayage company, which is what trucking, it was a trucking company before trucks. And they had this drayage company, it was the Gallagher Drayage Company, and it was on 11th and Folsom Street. Whoa, that's... And they, they owned 11th, 12th, and 13th Street on Folsom. Holy crap. Those three city blocks was their property. That's intense. That It's massive. That's a massive chunk of space. Like right, yeah, right there. Like, and they and they owned it up until the 1950s. Really? Even though yeah, it was being so developed. Market, pardon? It, it, it was was it being developed? Well, what, that... what happened was my my great grandfather started this company, and he had five sons. Okay. And one of his sons was my I'm sorry, that was my great great grandfather. He great started. Great. He had five sons. One of his sons was Peter Gallagher, and he was my grandmother's father. Okay. And so they they lived in a big house there, which is not there now. Mm-hmm. And they had a barn and horses, and they had the workmen and all that stuff, and all the the carriages and all that. And so that was their business. And that's, that's what so they, cool. So as a kid, my grandmother she would tell us about it, and they also owned a, a horse ranch up in Antioch, California. Uh huh. Where they bred the horses and they got the horses ready for to bring them for service, or, yeah. So they, um, so she used to tell me stories about like riding horses bareback around the you know the ranch and on Folsom Street. And uh, was it know, just like farmland around it, or what? Like, what no, was it wasn't farmland? It just was like uh, at that time, South of Market was not industrial but it was you know it wasn't all the buildings that are built up like what it is now right i mean i remember when i moved here in the 90s and it was still there were still vacant lots yeah actually right now part of that property is just a parking lot right so and my mom who's now 82 she's the only person who's alive that still remembers what that property was like because when she was a little girl she would go down there to Folsom Street she remembers the house and all that does she have any pictures no no photos oh man uh, I have upstairs my my great-grandfather's chair that he bought in the 1890s it's this like it looks you know what a Morris chair is no it's kind of like wood and it it actually has a reclined thing so when I grew up it was always in my grandmother's house okay in sunset but uh so you know, my mom, she's she's the only one who still remembers. So anyways, the, the, the great-grandfather died, and the sons sold off the business. You know, everybody kind of parted ways, and they right. sold the property. But I was thinking, what would three would those three blocks on Folsom Street, what, is, what would that be worth now? <laughs> the, billions, uh, right? Probably billions. I mean, the, billions. The, yeah, the kind of building buildings that they would want to put up there would, yeah. would be, yeah, it's prime, it's like prime space. People yeah. are, so even when, when I lived in San Francisco, it was a you know, no, it was kind of like there were there were actually my grandmother told me in the eighties that she went down on the streetcar down to where the the nightclub it was called the Oasis. Uh huh. I don't know if you remember that nightclub. It was there. yeah. It's still it's still. I don't know if it's still the Oasis. I, I feel like there's still something down on that corner though. So that's where their house was. So she was like, I guess, in her 70s. So she went down there, and it was like middle of the day. She knocks on the door. Uh-huh. Somebody came to the door, and she said, uh, they said, you know, can we help you? This old lady at the nightclub, right? right? 
She goes, uh, you know, I just wanted to come by and see her. She said, I, I grew up here. Whoa. And they, she said they thought she was just a crazy old lady. Like, yeah, yeah. No, they didn't believe her. That's amazing. Yeah, nobody so could have grown that up. That was kind of a funny story, but, you know, it's changed so much since then. And um, so she lived in the Sunset. Uh, they moved there in, like, 1939. They bought their house for $5,000. Amazing. And my Do you mom, know where exactly? Do you remember the streets? Yeah, on 30th and Kirkham. Okay. So as a kid, like we went there all the time. I we I, I was a I was there a couple years ago. Uh huh. When I went to San Francisco, we drove by just to see the house. Oh, nice. Still standing, same house. Yeah, you, know, you know those houses out in the sunset. Yeah, yeah. So um, and as a kid, we were there all the time. You know. So you so would come up from San Jose and just spend yeah, time in the city. San Jose. So as a as a little real little kid, uh, we lived in San Bruno. Mm-hmm. And my father and mother had a house there. Um, they had a couple houses before I was born. I'm the youngest. And then they moved to another house in San Bruno. And my father worked at Crocker Bank on Van Ness Avenue. Okay. Which is now a huge Wells Fargo bank. Uh-huh. The shadiest bank in the country. <laughs> yep. But it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't at the time, right? Crocker no, wasn't. No, I mean, it was, Crocker is a name that goes way back in San Francisco. So they... They got bought out. But anyway, so they worked there. My mother and father worked in the same bank, and that's where they met. Okay. And my father, I just found out recently, he was like a loan officer. And uh, after he he went to the Korean War for in the 50s, and when he came back, he was working there, and he, he worked his way up to like a loan officer. And then they they had just started uh, MasterCard uh-huh. with brand new things. It was like 1968. Wow. So my father was actually trying to get for the bank was trying to get other businesses to adopt MasterCard as a method of payment. Okay. And so that's what he was doing uh, in '68. And then uh, I don't know if you knew this about my dad, but he he was murdered in '68. I did. I did know that. I don't know the details of it, but I I knew. Yeah. Just... Well, I mean, it's a weird. It's a crazy story it's that ins- he. He was working for the bank and like this is the year, you know, 68 was a pretty tumultuous year and there were a lot of people, um, you know, doing drugs and whatever, hippie, a lot of hippies and mm-hmm. whatever area. And there was this one kid who kept coming into the bank insisting that the Beatles had a um, secret bank account with millions of dollars in it for him Whoa. and he wanted to withdraw the money. So he had come in several times, and I guess they, you know, kicked him out or got rid of him or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then one day, my father and his father, my grandfather, they were coming back from lunch on on Polk and California Street mm-hmm. on the way back to the bank. And this guy was there, and he stabbed my father. Jesus Christ! In the back, like one. I think it was one stab, and uh, and he he bled to death. He died on the way to the hospital. Oh, I'm so sorry, man. And so yeah, it was you know and the thing is, I this happened when I was two and a half, so I don't remember my father at all. Okay, I have no memory of him. And then um, they caught the guy. Uh huh. And he was you know, you know he went to jail or whatever, and then they they tested him because he was talking crazy, and they said he was not. Uh, able to withstand trial you know he was not guilty by reason of insanity so they sent him to atascadero which is a mental hospital for the criminally insane Mm -hmm. somewhere there in california 
and that and that's where he remains as far as you know no he he was there for about till 1973 and then they said he could withstand the trial okay so they had the trial and then he was found not guilty by reason of insanity and then they moved him to napa state hospital which is you know where napa is yeah and so every two years they had a, a recommitment hearing, you know, where they say, is this person able to be let go? Right. So he was kept in there for years and years. But in 19, I found this all out later in 1990, he actually escaped from the facility never to be found again. Really? So he escaped, you know, but he's a known, he's a known person, right? I mean, he's killer. Yeah. Well, but the thing was, I, I finally, you know, I got the, my brother and I at one point hired a private investigator uh-huh. to find out well, what happened because my family never talked about this at all. Really? Nobody did? Nobody. And uh, and you said so you're anyways, the... We... <clears throat> so, sorry. You said you're the youngest sibling, so some of your siblings re- remembered. Like they yeah, had... my brother's four years older, my sister's six years older, so oh, they, wow. they do remember my dad. Okay. But uh, So we found out that this guy had escaped and we got all the records and whatever, but... But the police never made any attempt to find him. It would just says AWOL from facility. And then that's the end of the paperwork. So as far as I know, he escaped. And then when I was, uh, and I, you know, I knew he found his name and I knew who he was and everything. Mm-hmm. But you can't find any records on them because they're considered a patient. So uh, they have patient privacy laws. And nobody, nobody can to- pursue that? I mean, can't you... Could you push? Years ago, I tried to contact the San Francisco District Attorney, but I think so many years had passed that they just didn't want to pursue it. So, I mean, how old would he be at this point? He was born in 1947, and he was like about, I think he was 18 at the time that it happened. So So he's an old guy now, but. Yeah, he's probably around 70 or so now. So he could still be alive, but the report and stuff that I got from uh, I actually called the Napa State Hospital and mm-hmm. somebody who answered actually had remembered him but and I talked to him for a little while but they were not able to give me you know any information other than they said he was really always causing fights and really you know yeah he was very aggro or whatever still he was still like a volatile yeah. Wow. And you know, I read I read the reports every two years that they had in this file that, you know, he, you know, he could barely bathe, couldn't brush his teeth. Right. He was really out of it. He was schizophrenic. You know, he just very difficult person. So yeah. I, I, you know, and then years later, I was working as a telemarketer when I was in college. And I found that, you know, I had found the name of where he was from, his parents, and I actually found his mother's phone. This is before the Internet. Wow. I found her because it had all these phone lists of different areas. And I found his parents who lived in Portland, which is where he was from. And um, I called her, and her name was Phyllis. And I, I called her, and it was just such an eerie thing. You know, she answered the phone. I said, is this Phyllis McMahon? She said, yeah. And I said, I'm the son of the man that your son killed. Whoa. And there was this kind of dead silence you know mm-hmm. and then she said well oh and she said well we didn't really realize that he had killed someone we knew he hurt someone wow and i said yeah he, you know he killed my dad and so we talked and 
she said, well, we haven't heard from him in years. And she said a, a homeless um, place in San Francisco had contacted her in 1993, I guess, to connect the homeless person with the family for some kind of intervention or help. Okay. And he had said he didn't want to have anything to do with the family. So I don't know if that was true, if she was just trying to throw me off the scent. But, you know, it was, that was it. And she, she passed away, and, you know, years a few years later. It must have been so intense calling her. Yeah, it was pretty intense, you know. And, like, also, um, this file that my brother and I had hired this guy. Actually, my brother hired him, but he sent the stuff to me, too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had grown up not even knowing what happened to my father. Oh, they really? Never, Nobody even told you? Told oh, wow. And, like, it was just such a, like, a dark thing in my family that I remember vividly being a kid in school, or, or just not in school, but just being so frustrated knowing that I had had a father, but no one would talk about him. And so I just kind of assumed he was a bad person. Oh, wow. So they didn't tell you anything about how, like, they didn't make up a story or anything? Well, if they did, I don't know. It just it, that might have happened when I was three or four, but you know, by the time I'm eight or nine or ten, you know, it was something that really, really bothered me. Of course, and, yeah. But I sort of knew or was trained, you know, don't don't ask about that. That's amazing. So, th so there's no like your your siblings both knew about it. They knew what had happened. No, they or... they didn't know. I don't think they told the kids what it what it actually okay. happened. Okay, so none of the kids knew. They just but knew. Like, even even my brother and sister, like we just never spoke about my father at all. It was just not talked about. That's so bizarre to have him absent and not allowed to ever. Yeah, ever... and so you know, as a kid, you're assuming somebody did something bad. Yeah, you have to. Assume so that, when right? I was when I was 11, my my brother was told by my dad's mom, my grandmother what had happened mm -hmm. and so he told he was 14 and I, I was 11 so he told me what happened and it was just like I thought he was making up a story you know it wow I just couldn't believe it you know so then How and when I look back like I started gaining all this weight right after that like when I hit puberty like I had you know a lot of uh issues about that and then when I would even talk to my mom about it she would just burst into tears and just I'd hate to see her crying, you know. Right. So you would just like, hold back and not. Yeah. So, so it's, it's so... Took a lot of years of therapy and a lot of yeah. a lot of years of making art about it and you know talking about it that I could even talk about it. Really. Yeah, because when I was younger, I had so much pent up, uh, and you know, sadness about it. Even yeah. just to talk about it, where I would start crying. Of course. I mean, how it, it's just so. It's such a. I mean, the loss is enough. The loss of your father is enough. Yeah. And then to have like no evidence of his existence or no, that just seems cruel almost. I mean, I mean we had, we had photos and stuff of him, okay. which I looked at a lot in the, in the family albums and stuff, but. But you couldn't really feel a connection to those experiences, right? Like yeah. there's no. I, I, I don't know. It was very hard to look at it, you know? Oh man. I'm so, so sorry. I'm, that's that's no, it. you know. It's, I mean, honestly, it, it's where I am today. Is you know, if you trace back all the good and bad things that happened to you, yeah, in your life, and you feel good about where you are or with you know who you are, you really can't separate the good and the bad. You know, it's just that's what was always happening. That's a good way to look at it. That's. I mean, you if know? you if you can be okay in the present, then you yeah, don't. Yeah, I feel. You, I mean. It's just who I am, you know. It's what I. If you were born without an arm, 
Yeah. That's all you know. You yeah. Know? Well, yeah. but but in this case, there's like this this whole psychological torment, you know, yeah. aspect of it where you're for a big chunk of your developmental years, you're you're in your head trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah. And that's got to do something. Trauma. Yeah. Like a it's huge a, it's a thing and it affects people. And if you, you know, everybody has their own form of it. Everybody's got something, but, but that's and a pretty massive one, you know? Yeah. You, you just, you know, you try to move on and I'm very close to my mom now. And, but I, even now, like I see, I see the ripple effect, yeah. you know, of someone dying and, you know, you see like people die in the news or whatever. Like when nine 11 happened, you know, my, I remember my first thought was think of all those kids whose dad just died and yeah. mom, yeah. probably a lot more men. And there were, I mean, there were tons of women too, but it was just, or without a parent, you know, right. think, yeah. you know, 20 years from now, nobody's really thinking about how that's, you know, affecting that person so strongly. And it still is for thousands. And yeah. And then that'll affect, you know, right. Them well, and then you think about, you know, war torn countries where that's all yeah. that's ever happened. And, you know, There's hundreds of thousands of people. Right. And the ripple effect has been, it's, has never stopped, you know, it, yeah. the ripples are just overlapping other ripples. Now it's just like this endless pool of, uh, hard to uh, break a cycle, you know? Yeah. So, well, you said you used, you, you did art about like in relation to your dad's death, right? Is it, is yeah. that what you, yeah, there was and that a, helped you get through it? It was a therapeutic thing. Yeah, there was a period like, uh, I think we're, you know, I started going to therapy, uh -huh. you know, when I was about maybe, I don't know, in my 20s, mm -hmm. I went to someone in San Francisco before I moved. And I never really went, like, long-term, like, for years and years and years. Okay. I've, I've gone to, like, maybe, you know, four or five therapists mm -hmm. where it would be, like, you know, a few months. I don't know, it just helped me get over it. And then at some point I couldn't afford it or I moved on. or Right. So it was pretty helpful. But at, at one point I really was making some art specifically about that. And it really was so transformative for me mm -hmm. it really helped me get through a lot of it so did you I mean, set out with that intent or, or yeah yeah you did okay. yeah it's really you know i was like you know i'm not making you know art of flower you know i'm making something about something that's so heavy in my life you yeah know? is that so, and i thought like i don't want my art to be like therapy art you know as an as a professional artist but it was like at that point i was like i just don't care you know mm-hmm Philip Gustin is painting cherries or whatever, you know, which is maybe something he loved and he made political art about Nixon and, you know, mm -hmm. people make art about their life. So I'm like, I don't want to, the thought of, you know, the sort of second class thing of like, oh, it's just therapy art. It's not real art or, you know, all those like levels of judgment. I was like, none of that really matters to me right now. That's good. I'm so glad. It's, I'm it's glad. Great. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad you're able to put that aside because then you can actually do the yeah, work of a lot of those negative thoughts are what you know in your own mind stop you from doing from even starting yeah
about that a lot. I'm like, you know, people that are like so confident about what they're doing, or at least they appear that way. Yeah. And you think like that guy's not really that good at whatever they're doing. Yeah. But they don't know it or they don't care. And then they do it anyway. And then they actually are getting better or they're achieving things or doing whatever. Then the other people that are like, oh, I'm not good enough or, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm not at a level good enough to try that. And then you just don't try. Yep. You're you know right. what I mean? It's like that self-critic really chokes you from doing things. Absolutely. Know? Yeah. And I, I get that a lot in my work. Like, you do? Oh, yeah. That's like the biggest thing I think ever to fight. Yeah. It's like. Oh, it's not good enough. So you want to destroy it or you want to try something else. Huh. And I remember being a kid, like making art. Like I used to play the saxophone. Okay. I wanted, I loved making music, but I wasn't ever any good. Okay. So it really stopped me from like pursuing it because it was like, oh, you suck, you know? Yeah. But like, with art, I was always pretty good at it. Even though as a little kid, you're not as good as you're going to be. Right. You're getting enough out of it to keep you going, you know? feeling good about what you're doing even though you know like i want to get better and better but right. there's some reward there that seems that, to be kind of necessary right to keep you yeah. to keep you going on any path like you have to have some sort of return on your investment or you're not yeah, gonna you gotta have it. a little bit immediate return yeah even Just, though there's going to be maybe a long-term you know yeah that's cool so you 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 were drawing right from the start like did you know yeah it was, was i remember doing drawings like in uh in like first and second grade, like, you know, and I, and like Trisha said, she had this too, like just being like way better than the other kids. Uh -huh. and, draw. Uh -huh. and it was like, you had this like superpower thing, you know, yeah. kids like, Oh, will you do my project for me? Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're it like, feels pretty yeah, cool no. when you can do that. And so, uh, yeah, I remember doing that. And, uh, so you were I getting notice for it, but like yeah. te teachers too would point out, would yeah. make note of it. That's gotta be, I, I wish there was someone who, could just come along and be like the hype person for every kid at whatever yeah. they're doing, like whatever thing they discover that they like, I wish like magically another person would just show up and be like, yes, do it, go, go do it. That and could be their parents. Yeah. Magic. Well, that would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, if every yeah, parent could, my mom, my mom was very supportive. Yeah. You want to hope that at least one of the parents, you know, will do it. My, for me, it was that as well. My mom was hugely supportive of any sort of, anything that we liked, you know, if we wanted yeah. to do it, she wanted us to go for it. And that's even amazing. when, uh, like I was in college, you know, I was sort of, I was very interested in science. Mm -hmm. So I was going to either be a biologist or I was going to design album covers <laughs> for bands, which to me at that point was like the pinnacle of artistic success. Yeah. Like if yeah. I could do a yes album cover or That'd something be amazing. Yeah. A journey album cover, Earth, Wind, and Fire album cover. I'm like, those to me were like so amazing. But, were you? Uh, were you uh, did you ever get into airbrushing? Were you doing working? Yeah, on... I did. I did learn some airbrush and just on my own, not in college, right? But later. But I remember thinking, you know, my mom, I could tell, you know, was not too hyped about me becoming an artist. Just because it wasn't a steady gig, or. Yeah, and like, you know, I remember my uncle saying, well, maybe you should try to get into architecture. Or, uh -huh. You know, they wanted to focus on something more solid than right. being an artist. And um, also, I didn't know at the time, but that the, the kid who killed my dad went to the same art school that I went to. No way. He went to the, I found out later, he went to the San Francisco Art Institute and was there in 1967 and then dropped out to get into the music scene or whatever. So that was uh -huh. kind of 
to That's find out. But I yeah. think they might have known, like, we don't want to see Dan going towards that, you know. But my mom never said anything negative. And years later, um, she told us that. I'm sorry, I'm joking. That's okay, man. Take your time. She told us that because uh, my father had had a very hard upbringing. Mm. They were very poor in the, the Depression. And that he never got to do certain things, you know, play football or do what he wanted to do because it was, you know, his parents wouldn't let him. And so he had always said, you know, my kids are going to do whatever they want to do. That's awesome. So she, she helped, she, you know, kept that going. That's amazing. That's really so cool. My brother said like he wanted to play football and, you know, she didn't want him to do that, but she, she was very supportive of whatever we wanted to do. And you think so. that's because your dad said, I mean, yeah, not, I know, not I know totally, it, but she said that's because, she told you that's she was just keeping up his promise to you. Yeah, that's really cool, man. That's so, awesome. I mean, that might be why you're able to be an artist. You know, like yeah. you, you weren't I mean, forced into. I got, I, I, you know, I know a lot of people who are regretful that they wanted to be an artist and their parents made them be a doctor or. I know a ton of people had to go into that. some other field, and you know, and yeah. I went to college, I got the degree and all that, but I think that you know what you're saying, like that magical person that says, like, hey we support you, you know, yeah. go for it, you know? Yeah. I think that's a great, super great thing in any kid's life. Yep. Got to have that. For sure. And if it's not, if, if it isn't there at home, then we need people, we need sort of guardian angels to be, you know, showing up for those kids. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of ways to do it. I mean, I think whenever I talk to kids, I just wait to see what they're, what they want to talk about, you know, because that's yeah. way better than trying to tell them what's interesting, you know. And as soon as I think the... that's weird, you think like uh, your your parents are going to be like a cooler, older version of what you are. Uh huh. They're they're not. They're someone else. And I think a lot of parents want their kids to be like the cool version of what they wanted to be as a kid. Totally. But the kids, the totally another person. Like, yep. You know what I mean? They're once in a while, you maybe have kids and parents whose interests dovetail, you know. But right. I think there's a lot of projection uh, and, and sort yeah. of like, oh, man, I wish I could have done this. So you're going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I was good at that, so that's what you're going to do. Right. Yeah, thankfully, I mean, I'm sure I've fallen into that trap a few times with my girl. I mean, I bought her a drum set, so maybe, you know, I that's never I never got to play drums as a kid, so... But did she, she, she pursue that? Not really. No, she wasn't really into it. I got her a guitar too, and she wasn't. But you know, I think she it's probably later. she might later. Yeah. Might later. Well, she's into dance, and I'm totally supportive of that. And um, yeah. uh, I'm I'm supportive of whatever she wants to do. And and I just need to like remember to step back and not push my ideas too much.
So you've been doing it every day for a few years now. Yeah. Holy so shit, it's only, man. It's the only present I, I ask for every year. It's the, like, what do you want for Christmas? I'm like, I want that book. I want the blank book, man. Like, you should just buy like 10 at once and then they'll have. <laughs> That's so cool. So what are you, what are you going to do with that? Like, cause, uh, well, I wanted to ask you some, a couple things about, cause, cause I know that you'd like to do when you're doing like your time-lapse videos. And, yeah. And, a lot of that comes out of this is, is this book. is from that book. Okay. Yeah. So like either that or my sketchbook, you know, I'm just, Const it's not so much about the final drawing. It's more about the, the video for. Right. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. Cause I, cause I would imagine that there are points. I mean, I think I've seen people comment on your videos before where they're, where they're pissed off that you didn't stop at a yeah. certain point. Like they really yeah, I like that. You, yeah. I was going to ask like, if, that, if that. that gives you a thrill that somebody else is getting, you know, upset. Yeah. I actually just did one to this morning and it was like, it started out as a pretty real, you, you look at it on Instagram, right? Yeah, so yeah. It's a pretty realistic ink drawing, right? Of this one, you know, her eyes, and then it just kind of goes nuts. And then in the end, it's just what for some people would say, like, I ruined it or whatever. Right. So what is but it like, to I've, you? I've always liked that in art, like sort of like a, a more official thing. And then like a cancellation of that thing or that the cancellation or the overlay of something cruder. Okay. Thing with the more official realistic thing underneath it kind of creates some vibration that you couldn't really get any other way. Like a lot, most people, they work in a very stylistic, uh, homogenous way, you know, like everything is done the same right there's a method style right either they're expressive or they're realistic or whatever like your brother is incredible realist painter and actually he did some stuff in that in in a couple of years past where he but he painted it in a very realistic method you know he painted a realist thing and then like kind of the graffiti over it right right kind yeah of, i remember that yeah that, that kind of thing so I, i've always been interested in that but this this uh time lapse thing is kind of cool because for a while I was doing ones where it would start with the white paper mm -hmm. and I would just start drawing whatever and it would get more elaborate and darker and more filled in. It would just keep going until the paper's black. That's really so cool. So there is no drawing, you know, quote unquote drawing in the end. It's really just the, the journey from, you know, from light to dark. Okay. okay. And is that, do you feel like there's a, like a psychological, correlation there is there like a, something that you're doing in that process that helps you or or yeah i mean i think most people if they're making a drawing the goal is the end point is the quote you know good finished drawing right and so that's a pretty subjective thing to know like when to stop mm -hmm. you know because i there's parts along the way where most artists would say you know that's in a really good spot or, you know, you get, it's, it's a, can be a problem. You get too attached to it. Yeah. Then you kind of get afraid to move on and then it's, you're, you're screwed. You so, know? so do you think you're that's like, sorry, you kinda, no, I was going to say you kind of need to not care about it so much Okay. while you're working on it. So you think that's partly why you do it. You want to like, you, you feel like you'll get stuck if you focus too much on the end point or well no th those particular things to me like when i watch them you know in the video it's more just about seeing how your mind works moving through a drawing okay to me that is the content of it not so much what i'm drawing it's, i don't know if that makes sense it does it's just really interesting because the because anyone looking at your art 
can't really have that experience. They can only have like what they're watching. Well, but they, they can kind of see me going through it or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, like that's hearing somebody figure out like a song or right. like improvising and like you're, you're, you know, I can't play the guitar, but I can go with you on that journey through your, what you're improvising through right. music. You know what I mean? I think it's pretty ballsy of you to do it, like to do it publicly like that. Cause I'm, I'm so, I would never sit with a guitar and improvise in front of somebody I didn't know, you know, I don't think I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to like sit there and just see that's, that's what I was talking about earlier. I know you're stop. I'm that's, stopping myself. Yeah. Judge, right. You're stopping yourself. Yeah. Well, what about the music that you're playing through the, the podcast? That's music you made. Yeah. Right? And, it, and it is improv. Almost all of it is improv. I mean, some of them I'll go back and do another track and I'll, I'll improvise yeah. that too. But, um, but I'm, by myself in my little space where nobody's looking and you know, like, I know, I know it's my own hang up, and it's something that I, I, I envy you for being able to, and, and I hope to learn from that, you know, but you're, you're already doing it. Well, I am. You're I mean, this is the same thing. Yeah. This is, this is an effort to get over that, that. Cause I'm of, not doing it live. I mean, I'm doing it on my thing on right, my phone. Right. And I post it. Right. Yeah, you do have some editing ability, and so do I. I mean, if I wanted to censor out all the mistakes, I could. And I haven't I, put every single one up, but I, I actually do them, and then often I'll just put it right like that minute as soon as it's done. Yeah, I put it on Instagram. Like I don't even think, is this good? What are people going to think? Well, that's really powerful. Really I think. Matter, I know? think that's a really good. That's a good mode to be in, just for your own health. You know, just to be like, oh, who who cares? I'm put doing it. It's already yeah, done. Yeah, that's 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 good. That is a good place to be because a lot of times, like making work, I think that sort of inner judge is the worst. And it's not so much like you made the thing and then you step back and looked at it and thought, oh, you know, I don't know if that's that good. It's the judge that's there while you're doing it. Right. It's the little guy on your shoulder going like, oh, oh, that's not. No, that's yeah. Bad. What are people going to think that. of oh, this? This isn't going to look good. Yeah. It's like suspending judgment while you're creating is the best place to be. Like I would remember making things in the sketchbook years ago. Like I'd be doing something that didn't, it wasn't official, didn't count. Okay. And that would be better than what I was doing as my official work, you right. know? And so you got to like, look at that and say like, well, what, what's different? You know, here, here I'm doing this thing. That's my official artwork. Mm -hmm. I study, you know, right. I know how to make art or whatever. And then the other thing is like, oh, I don't give a shit. I'm just fucking around. Yeah. And then that thing is more interesting. You have to think about like that playfulness or that I didn't, I wasn't judging it. I didn't care. Yeah. So I did the thing that just really came into my mind. And there's no like gateways of approval stopping you. So I think I always am trying to get that into my art practice. It seems like you're doing it from from where I'm sitting. I mean, I I don't I don't know the different. I don't know where you draw the line between your, you know, real official work and your every. To me, it's all incredible. Uh, yeah, thanks. And I mean, and, and it just the, seems the real official is the only difference is just that's the stuff that could leave the house and yeah, like the right. stuff in my sketchbook. I'm not gonna exhibit my. I mean, I might exhibit the sketchbook or whatever, but it's not a, you know piece of art yeah, I don't know. you I don't frame it and sell it and yeah yeah but you've also i mean you've done like the paper towel roll thing oh you've you done... that? oh of you course yeah it's incredible yeah, that was the thing where it was like at that point i wasn't selling anything yeah 
So I'm like, I don't really care if it's archival or it was really just about this mechanized thing that I could just do. And and I took months. I would, I've done like four of them now. It's brilliant, they're, man. It's so cool to watch. Feet long. 800 feet. The roll is 800 feet long. And you filled up four of them. Is that yeah. what you said? Holy crap. So each roll, like I take the blank roll, it's like industrial paper towel. Okay. And I have it in a box in underneath my desk. And I pull the, the sheet over the front of the desk and just every night I would sit there and just draw for, you know, a couple hours and just keep pulling the roll as I go. And then the end, I would roll it all back up and put it in the machine. Right. And they put it on the wall. And then, you know, people wave their hand in front of it. A piece of it comes out and then they just take it. And people are really like, I remember they would hesitate in pulling it yeah because i don't know where it's gonna tear it could cut right in the middle of a face or right and you didn't leave like, you didn't leave intentional spaces or anything you just drew straight on through. Just, yeah it's just a you know different drawings that go so oh. you, know, you get like a piece that's about a foot and a half long but people would be really nervous tearing it i'm like just tear it like a like you're at the bus stop and you need a paper. Oh man, towel. I would have been one of the tentative ones. I would it would have killed me to have to rip through like <laughs> one of the faces that you'd drawn. You know, I would have to do some like get some scissors out and try to do a perfect mask. You know, because yeah, I no. I mean I do I have to admit I do suffer a little bit when I see your videos and I see that you know where I would have I, I would never impose on another artist like where their yeah. endpoint is or anything. I would never ever you know, step into your studio and say, Oh, I think you should try this or, you know, that's completely your thing. And I always want it to be, but there is like this little momentary sadness where I'm like, that's, Oh, Oh shit. Yeah. He just brought up. Just watch it again. Yeah. You well, there you go. That's true. It. That's why it's great that it's on a video. Yeah. You can just pause it right there and then take a still. I, and <laughs> I did this other piece for a show that was about that. Like, people giving you advice like, Oh, you know, Justin, you should interview yeah. these people or you should structure it like this, you know? And it was like, so i made this thing called the suggestion box. Oh, I saw that too. It was a white box on the wall said, you know, give me your thoughts about how I could make my work better or whatever. Uh -huh. Had little cards and people write in the cards and had a slot at the top. So they would put the, the suggestion in the slot and then it actually had like a paper shredder inside of it. Love it. And so we just shred their 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 ideas right onto the floor instantly like, in front of them. Yeah, and I remember. And then the gallery people would come and like sweep it up so that the joke, you know, was still fresh on the next person. Right. But, uh, some people were like, "Oh, that's so rude." You know, people went out of their way to give you this advice. And the, the idea of the work was just to make a fun thing about artists or whoever you know you really should listen to what people say and then try to throw that away yeah you know what i mean because in the end it really needs to come from you if you're doing someone else's agenda it's you're off, but also off you have the to path be minded i mean you got to be i think you need to need to listen and then you need to just throw it away and whatever part of that sticks to you as a good idea is something you can you know adopt or ingest but right. ultimately you know you got to be your own own person.
how do we hold that? How does how does a person hold that present? You know, because I can have that. I have that thought so many times a day where I'm, you know, I'm like desperately missing my daughter while she's at school, or I'm thinking about my brother on the other side of the country, or it's not, you know anything like that. And I have that thought like. I love this person so much. I wish I could have every second of our time together be, you know, encapsulated and like immortalized and just forever on tap, you know? And so I have to appreciate it every time. And then you get in the room with that very person and some annoying little stupid thing that means nothing happens. And all that, for me anyway, all that shit just goes out the window and I'm like an old curmudgeon again. And I'm, you know, I'm not. What do you mean something happens, like something negative happens? Yeah, or or, yeah. Well, sometimes, I mean, I'm not always even clear what the trigger is for me. Sometimes I'll just have a mood shift where I'm like, oh, what, you know, some memory will come up or some, I don't know. Sometimes something that someone says will register some other old hurt and I'll just be like, Uh, that will just come alive for me. And I don't. And then you're then you're not thinking you want to memorialize everything exactly with that. yeah but but right? that's to me that's such a shame well, to like to have it be so um, elusive like that like you you know in that moment when you're feeling it like this is I need I need to appreciate what you know what I have I need to be present and grateful for what's going on. Well, just that you even think that means you're you're ha- you're more than halfway there. You I know? guess so, but I feel like I've been there for a long time. Like I've been at that place where I'm fully aware of what I would like it to be like. And then I still have this, it's just like such an old ingrained thing to go back into ruminating and, and like focusing on what's not right. I think, I mean, I just have like a very negative filter that I put in place, not on purpose. It just sort of the, you know, the, well, maybe just, you got to look at it like a real relationship with people Uh is good and bad. You know, there's good times, there's bad times. And it's, I think ideally we want to think about only the good part, you know, like of that person so much. And you're, you're really thinking about the good times and how they made you feel or your connection, you know, but if you're, if you're really thinking about a real relationship they're they're mad at you sometime or, you know, or it was a bad time or you, you betrayed each other or whatever, you know, and got somewhere good. So I don't know. I look at it like I, I, I'll take the good with the bad. That's good advice. You know, I, I think that just thinking of I'm that you're that you're thoughtful or or thinking about how much you care about that person and that you you know want to contain it in a in an emotion. Yeah, that's the important part. You know that you you value it. You appreciate. I definitely it. value it, but I think that I have this. I I mean I feel like I've built this pattern where I I value it but I register it as a loss. Like it, it's so, like, I want, I like it's I, like, I can't have it. It'll never be good. And it'll yeah. Never really or get even it. if I don't extrapolate into the future, it's just like in that moment, I'm like, I don't have it right now and it feels bad. Yeah. And I lock, I lock onto that. I lock onto the feeling of it being a loss. And I don't know if that's just cause I'm conditioned. I've had a lot of loss in my life. So I, I don't know if I'm just like, yeah. well, here's another sad thing that happened and I, I'll just put it, put it on the <laughs> list, you know? But, but that's like a, yeah, well, I, I don't know. You got to have the good list. I know. Too, that's though. the thing. I keep forgetting to look at the good list and I, I'm actually starting a new segment that I, it has to do with that very thing. I want to, I want to like push my optimism. I want to, I want to push myself into the yeah. the balance of looking at things positively. There's the thing too, where somebody like, I remember complaining about something 
And in that moment, you just want to hear, wow, you know, you're right. That really sucks. Yeah. You know, I feel for you. I'm sorry. But the person's like, well, it, it could be worse. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, buddy. You know, and I'm like, okay, so I don't get to feel bad because. Because it could always be yeah, worse. I could be on fire right yeah. now. <laughs> you know, I could be getting shot right now. So, yeah, it is It is better than that. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a helpful thing to think about it like that. But for me, it is helpful to focus on, like, things that you see every day like you know when i i hurt my finger or my wrist mm -hmm. the other week and when you hurt a part of your body you're so aware of how much you use totally. that and you just think like god i can't wait till this is gone or whatever and i'm normal so on a day that you're just normal everything's not hurting yeah. you don't think like i'm thankful for my my right. health today but you got it it's there that's, so that's know? the practice right thinking about like so many things that are right you know, I have a great place to live. I got an amazing wife. Yeah. Nobody's currently dying or, you know what I mean? There's so much that's going good Yep. that I, and I'm with you. I, I sometimes will focus on, well, this sucks or I wish this wasn't like that, you know, but there's so much going on. That's good. Yeah. It, 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 it is helpful to focus on that. that. Force yourself to focus on the good things. Cause there's so many, so many that are good. sixth grade this stray like came into our yard this orange cat so like i just i begged my mom like please can we keep him you know she had like three kids on her own so i didn't think she probably thought i can't deal with a pet too yeah but we he hung around and we we convinced her you know and um it really was a huge change in my life you know because that was a tough time at, yeah at eight. I think I was was right around when I found out about my my dad and stuff, and just having this pet like really made such a, a difference in my life. That's amazing. It's hard right. to explain, but I think families that are in trauma or crisis, like having this thing that everybody loves, yep, and that can express the love, it's 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 transformative. I think in I've seen it, you know, in families where like getting a dog or an animal really made a big difference. So for me, it was incredible. Totally. I think that's true in so many, so many different ways. Like anybody who's dealing with any kind of trauma or any, yeah. any mental health stuff, like cats and dogs. Yeah. Look, look at him. He's so beautiful. Yeah, they are. They're just, and, and talk about being present too. They're like the best teachers for how to be just in the moment yeah. all the time. Dog. So I'm a, I'm a cat person. We had, we had tiger. Then we had rusty <laughs> nice. and we had cinnamon and then we had pumpkin. They were all orange tabbies? All orange, yeah. That's so like cool. One, you know, as they passed away or got yeah. back or whatever happened, you know. But you would always get in, you would always go looking for yeah. the next orange tabby. And then I think my mom, you know, at that point I wasn't living there anymore. And she was like, I can't deal with losing another pet, you yeah. know. 
get attached and yeah so we'd always be like mom we're gonna get you a cat we're gonna she's like don't bring it over i don't want it you know it's too hard yeah yeah i do love them yeah cats are cool um <clears throat> well man do you feel like uh do you feel like we covered some good yeah things? we did we, I, we talked for a while i don't i don't I didn't look at my watch but it's looks like a couple hours it's a long time yeah you're gonna have some fun editing yeah that's good that's okay i enjoy it i like going back and it's good cool i, I would like to uh talk to you more likewise wasn't on the um recording like when i see you well you let's do I mean? it yeah let's no, it's fun to talk to you likewise man yeah i really appreciate I you love, love your podcast listening to people i do, i listen to it while i'm drawing oh cool that's and nice to... on, on the subway which is actually kind of weird because you're, you, you know, you get into this thing, like I'm with you guys in the room yeah. and then, you know, I'm, I'm around a zillion people on a <laughs> you know, but, uh, I, I prefer it when I'm drawing. Cool. That's cool to think about that. You're do, that you're listening to these conversations oh, while I, you're creating. Totally. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I love, I mean, I that's heard them all, but I've heard about 10 of them and they're, they're awesome. Oh, thanks man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate I'm working it. Working way backwards. Oh, are you? Are you going in reverse order? Well, I think I listened to the very first one, and then I've kind of jumped around. I listened to Jason's because you know I know him. And yeah. So I'm I'm and I just recently listened to your outtakes one. Cool, cool. Well, I, I'm kind of jumping around, but I I think that's cool. I mean, not, there's no the only thing you would get from going in in order is to see all of my mistakes as I make them. You know, there's no 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 there's no mistakes. This you're doing an awesome job. Thanks, man. Well, I just mean like kind of rookie. To put this together, right? Say again. Like just even the interface, like we're on Instagram, where it goes right to the podcast. Uh huh. And then you got it all organized, and all the buttons you could hit, or you know what I mean. I know that sounds ignorant, but because I don't know how you set it up, but. Well, I don't either. Actually, it's very cause... complex to me. Well, some of that stuff's done done for me. I don't. I'm just like have a. I, I don't know how it's happening either, <laughs> but uh, so like you uploaded all the hashtags for each episode. Yeah, stuff, you yeah. Know? There's a lot. There's definitely a lot that goes into it, and the Instagram. I'm trying to make it its own creative world. You know, I want it. I want it to be more than just like an advertisement. I want. I want the imagery to be worthwhile, and I want the yeah, yeah. you know words to mean something. And um, well, I appreciate that you look at my Instagram. I, I've gotten probably more positive feedback from Instagram than like all the gallery shows I've ever had. I think it's a pretty amazing thing to have this like immediate, I think for it's, artists, it's one of the best tools. It's been the best thing. And it also has decentralized the power of galleries and right. museums. And you really see a lot of things also like my friends, I see what people are up to yeah. in a way that I never would, you know? Right. And then you can also see like details and works in progress and all this stuff yeah. that people really are craving i think like they'd love to know yeah, i have a website but i don't even add anything to it anymore you just do it all instagram it's mainly 100 you know i haven't updated my website in years now it's wow. still there but yeah you know, I, I keep thinking oh i'm gonna, I'm gonna work on <laughs> well you don't need to i mean it's you this is a yeah. better platform it's a it's a lot a lot more accessible and more people will get to you so and it's also you know i don't i, I left facebook yeah I hate facebook i do I too hate that facebook owns instagram and i hate a lot about what they do with instagram with the you know they took it away from being you can see who you want or you know the people yep. you follow as they post i that really bothers me me too I, I don't know way around that if there was another platform 
that enough people were jumping to, I, I would leave Instagram. I think you're, I think a lot of people would agree for the very same reason. I mean, Facebook is just sort of, you know, infecting it with all their stupid yeah. algorithms and forcing or, or you to I watch shit that you don't want to see. Yeah, I don't want that stuff. And I would even be willing to pay a subscription to, to be take able it out. To, to have that gone or like no ads or whatever. Like I would even look at the ads. I don't care. But that part bothers me. Mm -hmm. that a lot of people that follow you are not seeing your feed. Right. Because the feed is important. It's like what it's what you yeah. it's what how you design it's like your portfolio. It's the way you want it to be seen. Yeah. <laughs> if nobody or even people that follow you it's never going to come up on their thing unless they look for you. They have to actually go find it. That's yeah. so stupid. That's infuriating. All right, man. Well, Justin, I'll let you go. Thanks a lot. It was a really fun experience. Thank you, man. It was really great talking to you, and I'd I'd love to do more of it, uh, on and off mic, any any way any way we can. Yeah, next, and well, next time I come out there, if we're in San Francisco, we should hang out for sure. Absolutely, and even if you're not, you, do a, you know, it'd really be funny is to do. Uh, here's me. You know what you should do, Justin. <laughs> no, it's to do a uh, to do a couple to do Trisha and I. I we I thought about that initially when I was talking to my brother about it because we both thought like the two of you together you tend to like play off of each other over each other it's it's actually hilarious yeah it's pretty fun to be a part of so let let's do that let's plan a session sometime in the we future could do like a, a thirty minute special or something I think it'd be great All right, man I'll let you go thanks so much man for for talking I loved it and uh, I'll I'll see you soon I hope. Okay, and so let me know when it's coming up. I will for That's sure. Yeah, it'll be it'll be next week. It'll be on Friday. Oh, great! I'm, All right, I'll I didn't let's... say anything embarrassing or dumb, but no. you can use whatever part you want. Thanks, man. I appreciate your uh, openness. Yeah. All right. Lots of love, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, you too. Love you, man. All right. You're doing a great job. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Pat yourself on the back. Okay. Here I go. Here I go. <laughs> Feels good. <laughs> Thanks, man. I really appreciate the support. All right. Later. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, that was my friend Daniel Davidson. Um, I hope the phone, the sort of difference in the audio wasn't too hard to listen to and that, you know, the sort of stepping on each other's words occasionally. <clears throat> if it was, um, please forgive me and, or go back in your memory and reset the thing that made it annoying and make it something that's not annoying. Um, cool man and women and children i say man a lot and i mean everybody hey man what's up and i don't mean it to be um gender insensitive or anything like that i just say it so if you want to see daniel's work and i really think you should um it's really awesome it's really super great and uh well don't take my word for it just go look at it um the best place is probably instagram he is at Daniel Davidson Studio, and Daniel and Davidson are both spelled as you would imagine. And um, or if you don't, if you're not on Instagram but you still have a computer, you could go to his website, 
which he hasn't updated for years, as he said, but it's it still has some of his work. And uh, that is danieldavidsonart.com. So one way or another, please go look at his work and um, you know, tell him how much you love it. And tell me how much you love it, whatever it is. Uh, I love when you get in touch, and um, I love that you're listening. I really appreciate it. And please rate me on iTunes with the best possible rating and on every other single platform. Yelp. Um, Bing. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how any of that shit works. Just um, tell people that you like it and I think it spreads and then more people come together. And that's a beautiful thing. And I'll see you next week. Bye.